Welcome to The Catch-Up, a Westwood Westwood podcast. And now your host, Teddy Tudson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Catch-Up, a Westwood Westwood podcast. I am your host, Teddy Tudson. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, lots to go over this week in the news, healthcare updates, also, uh, Donald Trump's incredible bonkers interview with the New York Times, uh, plus some shakeups in the White House, and much, much more. And we will be joined on uh, this episode by fantastic comedian Tamer Catan, uh, excellent comic who uh, performs all over the country and uh, is a really dope person. We'll be chatting with him about uh, politics and comedy and how the two. Uh, come together in this crazy age we find ourselves living in. You can check out the Ketchup and other quality podcasts at westwoodwestwood.com and Westwood Westwood online on Facebook and at Reed Westwood on Twitter. And be sure to uh, like, subscribe, review the Ketchup on iTunes. Uh, you know, let us know what you like and if there's anything else that you want to see us do in here. Let's begin with the latest in healthcare and where Mitch McConnell is and his latest efforts to get something passed through the Senate Republican Caucus. He is in a world of hurt after uh, the parliamentarian in the Senate ruled that several portions of the Republican health care bill will need 60 votes in order to pass under the chamber's rules for reconciliation. Now, uh, as we talked about before, Part of the Republican strategy for getting health care and tax reform passed without any Democratic help is to use reconciliation. The only problem for them is that reconciliation has a window where it closes, in this case, September 30th. And it also says that any of the policies that are passed under these budget reconciliation rules have to directly affect the federal budget, either decreasing spending or increasing revenue. So if the parliamentarian says that these policies... Uh, do not comply with reconciliation, then you have to get 60 votes for those. Uh, The policies that are suffering under the parliament's judgment include the Republican replacement for the individual mandate in the Affordable Care Act, which required people to uh, buy health insurance or face a penalty. So the Senate bill was going to say, hey, if you went more than a month without health coverage and then you bought insurance later on, you would have to wait six months for that health insurance to then be in effect uh, and cover whatever bills that you were then um, given in that time period. So that was essentially the mechanism to force people to sign up for health insurance instead of having this individual mandate. Uh, That was struck down as passing under reconciliation and will require 60 votes. Also ruled um, out of order for reconciliation by the parliamentarian is the provision that was designed for market stability. Uh, You may have heard about these payments that President Trump keeps saying that he doesn't want to make. Why are we making these payments that insurance companies are very worried about? They're called cost-sharing reductions. Uh, There's a lawsuit from Republicans, House Republicans, suing to say that they um, are invalid. So that was also ruled as requiring 60 votes as well. There's also uh, Planned Parenthood as well, too. Uh, Provision defunding Planned Parenthood 
will require 60 votes. Uh, there's also restrictions on federal tax subsidies that cover abortions. That would require 60 votes as well, too. So with no Democrats obviously going to vote for defunding Planned Parenthood or these uh, tax subsidies and restrictions that would be co you know, covering abortion and, and limiting that access, those are basically dead. Uh, once those are dead, it's very hard then to see how conservatives like uh, Ted Cruz or Mike Lee, uh, some of the other hardline holdouts, will support this bill. The other thing that we still are waiting on is that the parliamentarian hasn't even scored uh, Ted Cruz's proposal you know, that would basically allow insurers to sell these skimpy plans that don't cover anything and could possibly allow them to charge more based off of people's pre-existing conditions, as long as they have one plan that, uh, that did meet whatever Obamacare regulations or Affordable Care Act regulations you want to call, whatever you want to call the bill. They basically had to sell one thing that was legit, and then you could sell whatever other uh, trash product you wanted to. So does this mean that health care is dead in the Senate? Nay! It is still very much so alive. Mitch McConnell has plenty of tricks left up his sleeve. Uh, one of them, talking about this parliamentarian, that's not a final judgment. It's not ironclad. Parliamentarian does not decide all. It's merely guidance. Parliamentarian is just like an angel on your shoulder that's like, hey, man, here's some uh, fiscally responsible shit that we passed and your shit doesn't comply with it. I would advise you to go and follow this advice. Uh, that doesn't necessarily need to happen because the chair of the Senate, which is the vice president, Mike Pence, makes the final decision on whether or not these things actually comply. For decades, though, the parliamentarian and everything they said, that was final. That, that was it. That's the word on the street. His word is bond. Parliamentarians out here, I make a judgment. That's what we abide by. You guys didn't give me this power so that I would be willy-nilly with it. However, recently, there have been some more uh, hardline conservative senators saying, fuck the parliamentarian, your judgments are garbage, we don't need you. Obviously, you can see why even some Republicans are balking at this because it sets a horrible precedent for them. The next time they're in the minority and the Democrats are in the majority, Democrats can just turn around and say, hey, I thought you guys said the parliamentarian ain't shit, huh? Why we gotta listen to them? We don't give a fuck about the parliamentarian, you don't give a fuck about the parliamentarian. That's what it is. The math now, as it stands for Mitch McConnell, is that he doesn't have the votes. We have been told by various Republican senators that they are going to be pushed to vote for the motion to proceed, which, as we've gone over, is just consideration. Let's just start talking, huh? Let's just give the bill some time to breathe. We don't have to agree. We don't even have to know what the bill is because nobody knows what the bill looks like now. As you just heard, there are multiple proposals. They still haven't even got a Congressional Budget Office score on Ted Cruz's proposal. They don't know what the final bill looks like. Susan Collins has said this, that she expects a vote on health care this week, but the Senate doesn't know what they're voting on. She doesn't think it's a good approach. Most people don't think it's a good approach. So we're just having this fly by the seat of your pants, trust me, we'll pass something, and nobody knows what the final bill is going to look like. We still don't know what the Congressional Budget Office is going to say about various parts of the final bill. And even if you get people to say, okay, fine, let's proceed. We have enough votes to proceed. What are you proceeding to? There's still no guarantee that you actually have the votes for final passage. 
this thing is still a ways away from being final. Just know that every day Mitch McConnell is trying his damnedest to bring people back to the table. But like we just said, if you include defunding Planned Parenthood in your bill, if you include these restrictions on abortion, you lose people like Susan Collins, you lose Lisa Murkowski, you lose uh, Shelley Moore Capito, and that's three people right there that you can't have. If it's not a full-fledged repeal, you lose Rand Paul. That's already putting you in a place where you don't have the votes um, on, a, on a motion to proceed, let alone on final passage under reconciliation rules where you only need 51. You can't afford to lose all those people. So it's not dead. By no means is it dead. But Mitch McConnell has increasingly limited runway to try to land this thing. And big news coming out of the White House as Sean Spicer is out throwing up the deuces, leaving as press secretary following the appointment of Anthony Scaramucci as communications director. Uh, the communications director is a senior position to the press secretary. And Sean Spicer finally had enough. Fed the fuck up and said, you didn't let me see the Pope. You've embarrassed me. I've had to swallow all these lies, ruin my credibility. People used to believe in me. They used to respect Spicy. I was a fucking professional for years. And now look at me, a joke. I got ridiculed by my boss because a woman had the audacity to portray me in hilarious fashion on Saturday Night Live. And now, not only are you going to give the job to a man who I feel and many others feel like is grossly unqualified, but I don't have to report to this man? Oh, hell no. Nah. I'm out this bitch. So Spicer threw up the deuces. He will stick around for a few weeks as a transitional period, but then he's gone. In August, Spicer is out. Uh, according to Politico, when Spicer found out about Trump's interest in bringing Scaramucci on board, he vented that he did not think that Scaramucci could handle a major media campaign and didn't deserve the job. And he also, uh, as I mentioned, did not want to report to him. One of the things that Sean Spicer was frustrated by is that Donald Trump did a interview with the New York Times uh, in which he said some audacious shit about everybody. He started popping off at Jeff Sessions and said that, he should have never recused himself, and that if he had known he would have recused himself, he would have never hired him. He also took a shot at Robert Mueller and his investigation. He talked about his deputy attorney general. It was, by all accounts, very ill-advised. And Sean Spicer was not a part of it, had no knowledge of it, wasn't in the room for it. Finally had enough and said he was out. Just how bad was this interview? To the point that Sean Spicer would say, you didn't tell me about this, and you want to make me report to this man? Let's take a listen. Just take, listen to a little bit from this interview of Donald Trump talking to uh, Maggie Haberman, Michael Schmidt, and Peter Baker from the New York Times. Sessions gets the job. Right after he gets the job, he recuses himself. Was that a mistake? Well, Sessions should have never recused himself. And if he would, if he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me before he took the job, and I would have picked somebody else. Mm -hmm. He gave you no heads up at all. Mm -hmm. Zero. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Jeff Sessions takes the job, 
gets into the job, recuses himself. I then have, uh, which, which frankly, I think is very unfair to the president. How do you take a job and then recuse yourself? If he would have recused himself before the job, I would have said, thanks, Jeff, but I can't, you know, I'm not going to take you. It's extremely unfair, and that's a mild word to the president. So he recuses himself. I then end up with a second man who's a deputy. Mueller was looking at your finances and your family's finances unrelated to Russia. Is that a red line? Would that be a breach of what his actual I would say yes. Is? Yeah, I would say yes. Uh, by the way, I would say, I don't, I don't, I mean, it's possible that it's a condo or something. So, you know, I sell a lot of condo units mm -hmm. and somebody, somebody from Russia buys a condo, who knows. I don't make money from Russia. Mm -hmm. In fact, I put out a letter saying that I don't make from one of the most highly respected law firms and accounting firms. Um, I don't have buildings in Russia. They said I own buildings in Russia. I don't. They said I made money from Russia. No, it's not my thing. I don't. I don't do that. Over the years, I've looked at maybe doing a deal in Russia, but I never did one. You know, other than they held them as universe patches. They're eight, nine. But if he was so a lot going on there, as you heard from the president, taking shots at everybody, uh, especially Robert Mueller and his investigation. But guess what? He doesn't care because, as we soon found out from Bloomberg. That probe has expanded to include Donald Trump's business transactions, everything from Russian purchases of apartments in Trump buildings, his involvement with a Soho development in New York with Russian associates, the 2013 Miss Universe pageant in Moscow, Trump's sell of a Florida mansion to a Russian oligarch in 2008, plus... Robert Mueller's investigation has also absorbed a money laundering probe begun by federal prosecutors in New York uh, who were looking at his former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. So the heat is up, which probably explains why we got this crazy interview with the New York Times that is completely against whatever legal strategy that the president was getting. And there is also the chance uh, that Donald Trump is feeling stressed because, as we found out from a Washington Post report, he has told aides he was especially disturbed after learning Mueller would be able to access several years of his tax returns. So even though this investigation is still probably a far way removed from uh, having any charges announced or whatever, the effects, the, the, the ripples of all of these decisions and all of these subpoenas and all of these, these aspects of the probe will, will continue to manifest themselves on a regular basis. And it is only a matter of time before uh, the president seems like he implodes from the stress. Because this is not sustainable in any way, shape, or form. It's not sustainable. You heard that interview. We cannot continue like this for four years. It can't happen. As we mentioned in the opening, joined on the podcast this week by uh, comedian Tamara Catan, a fantastic comic who performs all over the country. Uh, got the chance to talk with him. Uh, please get a chance to check out his act. Uh, if you're familiar with Tamara, you know he does a good job of mixing in social and cultural issues uh, along with some humor. So uh, take a listen to uh, the Catch-Ups conversation with comedian Tamara Catan. Hello, everyone. I am joined this week on The Catch-Up by one of my favorite comedians. You can check out his album, Brown Sheep, available on iTunes. Please, a uh, big welcome to Tamara Catan. Tamara, hello. Thank you for joining me here. Hey, Teddy. How are you, man? I am, I'm good. How are you doing, man? 
I'm great, man. Doing well. Uh, where are you calling me from? I know you you're traveling a lot these days. You're you're heavy on the road. Where are you at now? I have been. I'm actually back in LA. Believe it or not, I'm back in sunny, perfect weather, Venice Beach. <laughs> nice, man. Um, well, you know, you are actually uh, the first guest that we've had on uh, on the catch up here. On, you're our Ooh. inaugural guest, so thank you for I'm breaking honored. it in, breaking the seal, I'm man. That, I'm honored. <laughs> um, so, a little bit about yourself uh, for anyone who's not familiar, kind of with your background, which I know you weave a lot into your comedy. You're you are Arab, right? That's that's how you identify. Where are you? You're not American born, though, right? Uh, no, I was born in Cairo, Egypt. Okay. So I, I kind of I, I it's funny. Like I don't identify the way that people identify me. I I I think of Egyptian as a completely different thing than Arab. But uh, but because the Arabs are getting picked on, I identify as Arab. <laughs> and when did you sort of make that affiliation where you're like, oh, OK, I see how it is. It, you're coming for them. It's it's one step away from me next. Right. Yeah. 9-11. Oh, right. OK. Yeah. Were you in the but States even, when 9-11 went down or were you were you yeah. overseas? Oh, no, I was I was very much in the States and, uh, you know, and, and shocked and, and shocked by what I was seeing. Yeah, it was crazy. What do you think uh, is different about politics now from 9-11 uh, to what we kind of have now with, with the Trump administration? Because I feel like that uh, immediacy after 9-11 was a really unique moment of, I don't want to say bipartisanship, but everybody, because everyone around the world was kind of like, hey, America, we got your back, you know, and you know, George Bush was out there on the rubble. And now it seems like that, like you couldn't even imagine the world coming behind America again like that. Yeah. Well, you know what it is? It's, um, it's, it's the same way I feel about religion, man. Like I, I, I believe there's a God, but I don't believe any religion is even close. Like I think, uh, religion in general is just a bunch of abandoned people fighting over the love of an absentee father. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like it really is. None of us know why we're here. And um, the whole 9-11 thing, like, I feel like the terrorists sneezed on America and Trump is one of the Trump and Bush, too, were the first symptoms that we have the disease that, that the Middle East has. And I mean, I think countries, um, you're right. The whole world was on our side and we had an opportunity to be a, a a much respected country and a much admired country. But what we forgot is that we have a bunch of cancers in our country and those cancers are in the form of politicians. And when a country gets scared, it's just like when a woman gets scared. If, if, a, if there's a lot of guys that'll take advantage of that, you know, <laughs> are you, are you, you know, in fairness, there are a lot of scared men running around right now too. Uh, I understand. I absolutely <laughs> understand that. But I'm using that metaphor because we have the biggest sexist piece of shit uh, in the world in in the as the president of the United States of America. And the guy thinks with his penis 100 percent of the time. He's he's pretty much just a penis with red. That's, it. That's all he is. He thinks with his penis 100 percent of the time. So it made me start thinking of wh what is it that he's doing? And he's doing he's grabbing America by the pussy. He's seeing an opportunity that Americans are afraid. And instead of saying, how can I comfort this woman uh, the way a politician would? Instead, he's saying, how can I take advantage of her fear? 
Um, were, how old were you when you uh, moved from Egypt to the States, or did you stop anywhere in between uh, before settling here? Um, I was eight. Um, we did we did a little stop in France, but we got to America when I was eight, but it was Egypt, France, U.S., and then when I was in Egypt, we lived in Greece for a little bit, and then I went to college in Sweden for six years and lived in Dubai for a year, lived in London for a few years doing comedy. So I've, I've been around a little bit. What is it that brought uh, you and your family to America from, from Egypt? Or why did yeah, you guys leave in the first place? Uh, there, no opportunity in Egypt, you know? Like, um, I think the reason why Arabs have this reputation for caring so much about um, what they look like in public and and um, the, 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 the promiscuity of women is such a concern is because uh, there's no mobility economically uh, in Egypt. You know, like you can't, if you, if you work hard, it doesn't matter. You, you either keep the great job you've always had or you keep the bad job you've always had. So working hard doesn't make a difference. So the only mobility you have is socially. Like when people say, oh, he's got a great son or oh, he's got a wonderful daughter. Or if they say, oh, his son's a drunk or his daughter's loose or his son's this or that, Th that's the mobility. And that's why all the stories and all the culture and all the uh, shitty traditions float around reputation. Do you still keep up a lot with uh, Middle East politics? Because I know there's a lot happening now with the Gulf states uh, and Qatar, right, and Saudi Arabia. Do you still follow that as well as you do American politics or are you kind of more focused domestically now I do I I do follow it but I cut through the crap real quick like you know that scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark where the guy does all that karate and then Indiana Jones just pulls out a gun and shoots him <laughs> is that you who what are your sort like do you do you like follow Al Jazeera uh, or is there anyone in particular that you 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 go with uh, to follow I, I, international news um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Al Jazeera. I think, uh, I think they're great, but I listen to a lot of different sources intentionally. Um, you know, BBC is big for me, CNN, New York Times. And then um, I'll listen to Al Jazeera from time to time. But most of my news is through the Times and CNN and some of the other, you know, outlets. Here's something I'm, I'm curious about, because I know um, when people ask me, and I feel like you're, you're definitely a very informed guy, and, and I know you, you try and stay on top of things, uh, people sort of ask, well, where do you get your news from? And I feel like a lot of it is through Twitter, which sounds weird to say, because it's not necessarily Twitter, but it's reporters on Twitter, right? Like, there are some yeah. great reporters from the Los Angeles Times and the Washington Post and who are freelancers or who work for sort of smaller independent outlets that I've come to, uh, you know, feel like are very trustworthy and have good yeah. bona fides. But are you kind of in that same boat where, like, you use Twitter as your news source or do you kind of go other places? Well, Twitter for me is almost – I use Twitter the way I use the guide channel. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, I do they still have a guy channel? I feel like we I feel like that's a dated. I feel like that's how you out yourself as like a as not a millennial <laughs> these days. You're like, you know what I used to do? I used to have to manually well, set the VCR. No, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a comic, so I'm in hotels all the time. Oh, you, know? you you've got a good industry excuse. That's solid. I'm on an Amazon fire stick, but I was just uh, on the road this weekend in Las Vegas in the uh, Mandalay Bay. You hit that guide channel, and I was like, oh, that's like Twitter for TV. <laughs> you know? 
they're almost like descriptions to that that are um, that make me want to unpack the story. Yeah, it's like it's like a bunch of little wormholes constantly floating by. Exactly. Um, here's you you spend a lot of time on the road. I know um, when you are doing different venues and stuff. Have you felt a difference from audiences when you do some of your more political stuff? Because it's not like you're up there doing you know Dennis Miller routines or whatever. But you know a lot of your material does touch on very sure. culturally relevant uh, issues. Have you felt anything sort of post-election, a difference when you're performing? Yeah, man, I'm really, um, it's funny because I, I'm not, I feel sad to say this, but I, I've had, since Trump started running, I've had three death threats. Really? Yeah, and before Trump, I'd never had one. Um, and I, I'm not a different person. I mean, I've definitely gone in um, and I've, I have a right. I have a mom with an accent. I have friends who are immigrants who's, um, who are being made to feel like this country is less uh, theirs than it was, you know, when, when everybody else was in office. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, this guy decides to, to come in and, and break the rules and, of decency and, and disrespect the office and be treasonous. And all that stuff is fine. I'm fine with uh, the rich playing their, their rich games, but I'm not fine with them using uh, people that I love as pawns. I'm not cool with that. Do you? I know, Go ahead. Sorry. I, I know the system's completely rigged. I, I just I I start to lose lose it when when they use real people's lives as uh, as the poker chips. Right. Using using real people as political pawns. 100%. The death threats. Uh, how did those happen? Where? Where? What states were those in? I mean, was it was it an audience member or was it just someone sending you something online? Uh, once it was an audience member. Uh, once uh, who stood up and ran, kind of rushed the stage. Like tried um, to charge you in the middle of a set. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, which isn't smart. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, a two hundred. 205 pound uh guy who's been boxing since i was a kid uh, did you do like golden gloves or anything or no, like... no but my dad did oh really my dad, my dad was golden gloves i never was but um i know how to throw a punch you know what i mean yeah are your hands registered as, as lethal weapons with the state no no you're not no. <laughs> but uh, um, you know listen uh, uh, you put me in a boxing gym and i am uh, very easy to ignore but um, as far as like how good my hands are when you compare me to other comics, uh, I'm an Olympic. <laughs> when, a, when a drunk guy comes running towards me, it's like a, a drunk and emotional. He's got no chance. It's a, it's a slow motion. I feel like uh, you, it's, it's similar to that Simpson scene where Homer fights with Dredrick Tatum and thinks he's landing a punch and then he just gets knocked out on top of his head. That's kind of what I'm imagining exactly. you. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not often that I get to punch someone in the face as an adult and have the crowd stay on my side. That's so so <laughs> that's so wild that you that you've actually experienced uh, death threats now and you never had yeah. before. I hate it, man. Because listen, a lot of people become comics because they were bullied, and comedy becomes the energy uh, that is like it, it's the positive energy that covers up the negative energy. Right. And the thing that's a shame about these death threats and and me having to kind of stand stand differently on stage when I tell a certain joke because I want to be in a more athletic stance in case somebody rushes the stage. The the sad thing for me is now 
that thing that's that's been such a positive energy is starting to get tainted with the negative energy that that started it in the first place. Where were you on the road that you've been most nervous uh, and apprehensive about getting on stage where, you know, you're doing some of your, your most reliable bits or your favorite bits and you kind of had that extra moment of hesitation like, oh, shit, I hope it doesn't pop off when I say this. Um, it, it's well, I'll, 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 uh, I'll make a slight adjustment and then I'll answer. The slight adjustment is, um, I don't back off my stuff. I have this really weird response where if somebody tells me, if you do that, then I will be mad at you. Then I do it more. You double down. Uh, yeah, I totally double down. And it's <laughs> two out of three times. It's been in Oklahoma. <laughs> and, and the third time it was in a place that was a three hour drive away. It was Wichita, Kansas. Oh, okay, so so basically, just uh, the pl- the plains area, not not for you, huh? Not for me. And here's the crazy thing that I reminded the audience of after the guy rushed me, is I said, of all the states in America that should understand that terrorism doesn't have a color, it's the one that got bombed by Timothy McVeigh. That's a very astute point. Yeah, if if and there's like, anybody who should recognize that it's homegrown more often than not. Yeah. Exactly. It's insane. It's insane to me. Like I've seen people in Oklahoma with uh, trucks, you know, pull up in trucks and yell out racist things to President Obama's motorcade as they drive by. But on the back of those same trucks, they have stickers from different football and basketball teams with the names of black athletes that they admire. Well, you got to understand that cognitive difference. I mean, that's those are football black people. That's a different it's a different classification of (laughs) <laughs> oh, those are rich slaves. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's the way they look at them. They work, they work for the country. Yeah. Almost, like, that's the way they look at them. They don't look at them as... Well, they, they don't have the extra degree of uppityness that a black president does. So there's that, too, I'm sure, that factors into the <laughs> equation. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, before, before I let you go, uh, one of the issues that I think, you know, I've seen a lot of people talking about, you know, Donald Trump hasn't necessarily passed anything, right? He has no big legislative accomplishments. Congress, that whole thing is dysfunctional, but he's able to still do a lot through the executive branch, especially when it comes to immigration and deportations. Do you know anybody that's been deported yet or has had, uh, their life, interrupted in a significant way because they're afraid of ICE showing up uh, and and just sending them out of the country? Uh, I do not. And if I did, I wouldn't tell you. Good, good. <laughs> good to know that you're no snitch, Tamar. <laughs> yeah, I, I ain't no snitch. Um, but what I will tell you, and, and I was really surprised to hear this, uh, because I thought, I mean, listen to this accent. You know what I mean? I couldn't be more American. You know, <laughs> apple pie with a side of hummus. Yeah. You know what I mean? Ah, oh, that's amazing. I don't know what brand should snatch that up, but somebody should get some apple pie hummus out there. There are worse right. flavors. But it's true, man. Like, I mean, I'm so – I've made a full American transformation. Like, if you think Caitlin looks like a woman, like, I look like an American. You know what I mean? I'm like – I'm like, it's I've, it's almost trans transracial, you know, and I've become fully American. Like people told me, go back to where you came from. I'm like, they did. They hated me because you know? <laughs> I'm American now. So I would I did not think that I would have an answer to this question because I'm so far removed from people that are the um, at risk in the life stage of immigration that yeah. Trump is going after. But I was surprised. I have some friends who said they have relatives um, from Iran or relatives from Lebanon who are no longer able to visit 
the country. And it, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal because when we're talking about deportation, the separation of families, but immigration is already really, really hard. And when you have grandparents um, and you don't know how much longer they have to live and suddenly they don't get to come on a, on a trip because some guy is using uh, bullshit fear tactics to control people. Well, that's, that's criminal to me that I have friends who might not be able to see their grandparents um, before they pass away. Um, if they pass away. Yeah. You know, that's there's, he's playing with people's lives and, you know, a lot of people are like, he's not even doing any work. He's going to golf courses all the time. And I go, yeah, you're right. He's not there to be president. He told us that very clearly. The president's job is to govern. He's not governing. He's still campaigning. And there's a bunch of other people that work underneath him or use him as a shield. And those people are hard at work. And those people are damaging America. And those people are making neighbors hate neighbors. And that's how they control us, by keeping us divided. Well, Tamara, thank you so much uh, for joining me on the show here today, man. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, dude. Uh, hope to see Sorry, you around the scene again. And no, <laughs> no, man, you, you got you got some good spots in, man. You won on points. You won on points. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you one funny thing. Yeah, did please. You, oh, did you see what happened on the news today? What? Uh, like, which thing? Well, they said. Well, they said that now the the wall will never be built. Oh, really? Because Mexico built a giant Kool-Aid man. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Way to close strong, Tamara. Uh, no, why don't you, uh, why don't you let, uh, let the people know where they can find you uh, on tour, where you got uh, shows coming up, and uh, you know, where they can look you up online and, and catch more of these, these witticisms and gems. <laughs> sure. I'm going to be at the Seattle Underground. Uh, the first week of August. I think it's August 3rd, 4th, 5th. Um, so come out to those shows. And otherwise, um, get my album, Brown Sheep, on iTunes or, or TamarKatan.com online is a great place to see where all my next shows are. And then are you on uh, are you on Twitter or Facebook at all? They just look you up? Yeah, everything is um, everything on social media is Tamar Katan, which is T-A-M-E-R, and then last name is K-A-T-T-A-N. Real name, no gimmicks. Yes, sir. <laughs> Thanks, Tamara. I appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot, Teddy. See you soon. Yeah, take it easy. That's going to do it for this edition of The Catch-Up. Special thanks again to the homie Tamara Catan for joining us. As always, be sure to like, review, and subscribe to The Catch-Up on iTunes. And you can check out more quality content from Westwood Westwood at westwoodwestwood.com, Westwood Westwood online when you're on Facebook and at Reed Westwood on Twitter. I'm your host, Teddy Tutson. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to The Catch-Up with Teddy Tutson, a Westwood Westwood podcast.